Greetings. My name is John Duvall. Welcome back to another Truth Factor discussion. I'd like to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us for our Bible study. Here in just a moment, we'll bring all the guys back onto the screen. But before we do that, let me tell you what's kind of coming up. Next Thursday, our plans are to do a Q&A study. Now, I know there are a dime a dozen religious programs, preachers who think they know everything, doing Q&A studies. So we're going to join in that group. Um, if we don't have any Q&As, question and answers to look at, then, of course, we'll do a topical study. But that's next Thursday. Now, after that, two weeks from now, we're going to be starting our study through the book of Ecclesiastes. And so we'd love for you to stay with us as we go through our studies each week and be with us as we go through our study of the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, let me go ahead and bring everyone up to or on the screen here. And when we do, by doing that, let me go share with you also how you can participate in our study. If you're watching this through our Facebook live stream, well then use the comment area connected with this live video feed and leave us your comments. If you're watching us on our YouTube channel, then there will be a chat area there for you to participate in as well. You can email us questions at truthfactorlive.com or you can even send us a text message. You'll see the screen, the number at the bottom of the screen on the ticker. Gentlemen, how are y'all doing today? Let's do this real quick round table. Brian, is everything going all right? Doing fantastic up here in the Portland area. Fantastic or fantastic? Uh, fantastic uh, would be more appropriate, I'm sure. <laughs> My hearing's not good. Brendan, how's it going out in Arizona? Uh, going pretty good. Uh, contrary to popular belief, uh, it does get cold here. I woke up with it below freezing this morning, so we're... We're sunny and cold. <laughs> that makes sense, yeah. Um, Paul, things going all right? Just fine, John. Good to okay. see everyone. And Tom, we know your your mom's having some issues, so I want you to know that you are in our prayers, and she is too. Um, but anything you want to make mention of? Uh, uh, everything goes fine, going fine. Uh, appreciate that. I mean, uh, if for I know you mentioned that, just so everybody understands. Yeah. Uh, more than likely, my mom is not going to last much longer. So, so uh, we do appreciate your prayers on our behalf. But, uh, but, but anyways, that's what's going on. Uh, so, anyways, on to the program. <laughs> well, Tom, I I'm sorry to hear that, and we'll keep y'all in our prayers for sure. Absolutely. So, what we're going to be looking at today are five threats facing local churches. Okay, five threats facing local churches. We did receive at least two um, additional suggestions as things that threaten local churches, and we'll kind of bring them in as we go through the study. Um, they were shared on our Facebook post as a comment there. But when I mean five threats facing local churches, originally when I had written down this idea for this topic, I was really thinking very broad scale. Just think about the religious world in and of itself, Okay. And the, the amount of corruption that goes on, the problems that exist and have existed for, well, ever since the church began, um, when we see men taking control of what God would have them to do and, and running with it in their own direction there. But understand that the five tips or five threats we'll be talking about are learned from things that we as preachers have faced in dealing with local congregations, being a part of local congregations, I should say is a better way of wording it, and in the experiences we have had dealing with other people, whether they're part of the church or part of the denominational world. And there are probably other things that we could talk about, but we're going to be looking at five threats facing local churches today. So let's go ahead and jump right into the study. And Tom, I think you are slated in the list to go first. So let me get you brought up there, and you go right ahead, Tom. All right. Um, the one that I've chosen to mention, and understand that, like uh, you know, kind of like John mentioned, uh, we give these topics out ahead of time, and we're we're working on. He's asking our opinion on these things or our thoughts. So, so the one that I came up with that I think about is a failure to preach the whole counsel of God, and and just briefly, we know that uh, you know in Second Timothy four. And verses two through four, as Paul's giving Timothy instructions, knowing he's about to die, you know, he says, I want you to preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering. A different word used there, 
But then notice he gives a reason for that. And he says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, having itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and be, be turned aside from the truth, the fables. And so the bottom line is Paul's warning them. He's warning Timothy to preach because there's a time coming where people are not going to want to hear the whole counsel of God. They want their ears tickled. And if you want to understand that, just go back to the Old Testament and study the history of Israel as they dealt with the prophets and so on. So he makes that warning, and that's not the only time. Um, there was another occasion, as recorded in Acts 20, where he's talking to the Ephesian elders, and, and he warns them, and it's interesting, in verse number 27, he says, I have not failed to declare to you the whole counsel of God. But then he also warns them that beware of wolves. He says that um, wolves are going to enter. And he said they may even rise up from your own midst. And he could very likely be talking about um, um, even among the leaders, there would be those who would rise up and would devour the flock. And basically the bottom line is they would be teaching errors. And the, and the warning that Paul is giving the Ephesian elders there in Acts 20, and, and that's in verses 27 through 32, He's, he's basically telling him, number one, I want you to watch. I, I want you to be aware of this. And number two, I want you to teach uh, to prevent that from happening and to prepare the flock to be ready to look for those things. And while Paul doesn't say all that in the text, you know, I uh, when I read about the qualification of elders, uh, as recorded in Titus chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, uh, in that particular texture, he makes the point that elders need to be grounded in the faithful word so that they can exhort and convict those who teach error, those who contradict. Basically, elders need to be able to spot the wolf, even if he's wearing sheep's clothing. And of course, that's the concept of we are sheep. We are a part of the flock of Christ. And we need to be able to spot the wolf that is in our midst. And I'm going to tell you right now, the only way you're going to do that is if you're grounded in the word of God. If, if is if you know God's Word well enough. You know, the Bible deals extensively with congregations that are falling away or in danger of falling away because of false teachers. And really, there's only one solution to that, and that is to preach the whole counsel of God. You know, in a recent sermon that I was listening to, because I'm actually dealing with this in some of my sermons right now, but I I actually heard a preach who, who observed, and I think he's right about this. He said that it is possible for a congregation to never preach false doctrine and to still be unsound. And, and you know, that's something to think about. And why is that? Because the truth is, is there are certain subjects that they will not preach on. And if a church is not willing to preach on something, I'm going to tell you right now, typically the subject that they avoid talking about is the one that they need to be dealing with. There's some type of a problem in the congregation, and rather than uh, fearing or, or rather than facing the anger of those who, who are affected by what is said, they just choose not to deal with that topic, whether you're dealing with a moral issue whether you're dealing with a doctrinal issue or things like that. And uh, so we need to give consideration. And I'm going to tell you right now, when that takes place, you've got soft preaching. You've got a failure to preach the whole counsel of God. And, you know, when you study Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16, you find in that text that Paul says God gave us these leaders. And in verse 11, he talks about apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, that pastors being elders. Notice that those are all leaders with responsibilities to teach. And then he goes on and he says, you're doing that for the building up of the body of Christ so that they will not be tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine. So, so you find that it is a responsibility of a church to ground people so that they won't be tossed to and fro. Now, I fear that one of the greatest challenges churches are facing today is a refusal to preach on those things that may drive members away. And the result is congregations that are weak in knowledge, and therefore they are susceptible to error. 
And, and, and again, I could give you examples of this. Well, one that I mention here, and I'm about done because of timing, uh, but one that I want to mention here is in Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. And amongst the seven churches that are listed in Revelation 2 and 3, he gives you the church at Pergamos. And what's interesting about that letter when you read it is you find that the church at Pergamos, they were commended for a lot of good things. They were commended because they were willing to face persecutions for the cause of Christ. But then he says, I have this against you. And he makes the point you have there to hold to the doctrine of Balaam. And what's significant about that, it doesn't say they're teaching it. It says they hold to the doctrine of Balaam. And he summarizes that by saying that it involved, number one, fellowship with idolatry. So that's fellowship with false doctrine. And number two, immorality. And basically what I see in that, and he also talks about another group, the Nicolaitans. Um, and they were tolerating those who taught the, the Nicolaitans. And he said, these things I hate. And then they're warned to repent. And don't think for a moment that if they did not repent, that they would remain faithful in God's standing. So the point is, the point is, is you cannot tolerate error. And the only way to deal with that is you've got to teach on it. And when it is in your midst, you've got to deal with it. The church at Pergamos failed, was failing to teach on that. And they were told that that had to change. Another example would be Corinth in 1 Corinthians 5. Remember the, the, the man there who was in an adulterous relationship? And they were ignoring it. And Paul says you cannot ignore that and be pleasing to God. And, so, you know, we can look at a lot of other examples of that. But, but I just want to make the point, and I think one of the dangers, one of the threats to local churches is weak preaching. And, and I want to conclude with this observation. I want you to understand that when we fail to ground our brethren, and hear me clearly on this, you are only one generation away from apostasy. So that's why this is an important issue, and it is a threat that we need to deal with. Tom, I think that's a very good point and well stated. One of the things that kind of surprises me is about the, um, talk about the Church of Corinth. They had someone present who was teaching there's no resurrection. Yeah. And there were people listening to that and believing that. So, yeah. well, let's go ahead and bring everyone up and see if there's any thoughts or comments on Tom's warning. Go ahead, Brendan. Well, I, I first of all, amen to everything Tom said. Uh, and I want to offer two practical things that we can do to help guard against this, this danger. First, if you are involved in any sort of teaching or preaching, whether full-time, part-time, or occasionally, um, there is a place for topical studies. They're important. However, there's nothing better than just taking an epistle like Ephesians and preaching through it sequentially, um, of having your Bible classes be book studies to deal with the whole counsel of God. Um, I recently had to preach on the man of lawlessness in Second Thessalonians 2. Um, that's a difficult passage. And I joked around and says, well, why am I preaching on this? Well, it's because it comes after Second Thessalonians 1 and right before Second Thessalonians 3. I, I have to preach on it. Otherwise, I'm missing a big part of the book. And, you know, it challenges me to grow and it challenges uh, the congregation to grow. And, you know, when you preach sequentially, when you teach sequentially, you get the whole counsel of God. And sometimes, like last night we were doing Hebrews chapter 2, we got through the first four verses. That's it. As we spent a lot of time on what does it mean to neglect your own salvation? So even preaching sequentially, you can still hit needed topics when you come to it in the text. And so that's on the teaching and preaching side. Second application or practical thing to do. As an individual member, I need to take personal responsibility that I know what's in this. And so I need to have a very developed personal Bible study habit. And, you know, we can't put all the responsibility and all the blame on, on elders, deacons, and preachers. We can't. But because if there's, if there's weak preaching in the pulpit or weak Bible class teaching, 
it may be because the teacher hasn't been challenged by the congregation to like, hey, we want some meat. Um, it may be that the teacher's learning how to teach. And so it's a partnership. We both have to take responsibility for it. And we need to have an appetite for the whole council and not just smooth things or things we've heard before. So I'll be quiet now. Yeah. 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 And, you know, (laughs) just make this observation about what Brendan said there. You know, I, I, I was mentioning before we even went on air that one of the things that I've done now for well over a decade is I, I've set aside one Sunday night a month to just preach through a book of the Bible. And, and and like when I preach through Ephesians, I think I did over 40 sermons on the book of Ephesians. I I, I take my time, and the, the point I'm making based on what Brendan said there is, uh, you know what, if you are doing a thorough job of preaching through a book, you're going to cover every topic that needs to be preached. As a matter of fact, when you have opportunity to bring that up in the text, you're not going to avoid the topic or you're not going to perform the Passover and say, oh, well, that's what it says, and then move on to the next one. You're going to deal with it. And 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 that gives you opportunity. So, and, and so you know, I, I encourage preachers. I'm going to tell you right now, when I started preaching, when I was young, you know, I thought about uh, how am I going to preach through a book of the Bible? Well, you know what? Now that's my preferred method. Well, <laughs> I, 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 I think I mean, you need I, to. I'm, yeah, yeah. You need to give Brendan some advice. Brendan covered four verses in Hebrews. Tell him how to do one <laughs> verse a sermon. Because I'm sure that's what yeah. Tom does. <laughs> yeah, 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 Brendan. No. Brendan. no, no, it's it's not four verses in a sermon. It's one verse in four sermons. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, there's a time and there's a time and place for breaking something down. Yes, but I've seen some some preachers. It's kind of like getting a Picasso painting and getting right up in front of it, and in the modern day terminology, looking at pixel after pixel. You know, there's sometimes you might go too closely, but I agree completely with what you're saying. I mean, you've got it. The best way of preaching is through what's. I won't restate it all because Brendan did a good job. Tom, you did a good follow up, or no, Tom, you did a good job. Brendan, you did a good follow up. All right. Any other thoughts? So before we move on to the second threat here, no. All right, Brendan, I think you're down for the. You're you're the second threat to the local church. Is it Brendan? Who had a comment? I saw Brendan pointing to somebody. I mean, Brian can pretend he's me, or I can pretend, pretend yeah. I'm Brian. I think Brian's next. I believe I'm next, but I, I, I like the idea that Brendan is the second threat to the church. Um, <laughs> Hang on a minute. I caught that. Hey, oh, I'm in my, my copy down here. My copy printed front and back, and I wasn't looking oh. at the back. Hey, oh, you, there you, you go. You, you notice how you notice how Brian's performing a pass over here about him being the second threat to the local church. That's yeah. right. I'm not the second threat to the local church. It's those around me. No one <laughs> with hair like this can be a threat to anyone. Okay. I know. You know. Uh, Look, I'll just have I mean, you just know that clearly. Paul and I have the scriptural heads that our prayers are uninhibited by any <laughs> any coverings. So. We just want you to know. Well, and then you guys probably have the secret power to call she bears down on me if I uh, anger you too much. So only two at a time. All right. Speaking of she bears, go ahead, Brian. What's the second threat to so the local? Years ago, uh, years ago, I was visiting a, a congregation somewhere else, and uh, one of the very respected, uh, well known Christians there uh, was visiting with me afterwards. And he leaned forward. He says, Brian, do you know what the great problem facing churches today is? And I thought, well, here, here it comes. This will be a great nugget of wisdom. He says, preachers eat too much. Uh, so let me just say, there's a lot of opinions about what might be the greatest problems that face us. And some of them are good and some of them are not. And really, I kind of had a little trouble singing down just one idea. But I was thinking about something that I feel like uh, has to be addressed a lot. Uh, it actually touches very much on what Tom was talking about, too. And maybe we could call it balance or the absence of balance that we sometimes find in churches. I like to think of it as, as the idea that a church sometimes misidentifies its purpose. 
what is the purpose of a local church? That's an important question. And that's something that if we were a business, we'd say, what is our business purpose? What is our mission statement? What is the purpose of the local church? And it's important that we understand we don't get to dictate what the purpose of the local church is. It's given to us. It's, it's a commission that the local church is charged to have. When we walk through the scriptures, we find in the New Testament, um, uh, there are six purposes given to a local church, and probably everybody here is familiar with them as I kind of walk through them for a moment. Uh, we talk about the purpose of evangelism. The church is reaching out to the lost and trying to convey them of the sense of the importance of obeying the plan of salvation, evangelism. Um, the idea of the church is charged to teach the members within it. Places like Ephesians chapter 4 and elsewhere speak of the importance of uh, of equipping the saints for the work of ministry. And we use the word edification oftentimes to describe that important work. The church is charged with taking care of the saints, the physical needs of saints. And uh, we see that in places like, um, I don't know, Acts chapter 2. We see how they were taking up right away collections for the purpose of making sure that the saints' needs were taken care of. I often point to Matthew chapter 6, and Jesus has promised that if we seek first the kingdom, uh, the things that we have need of will be added to us. And I see the church's benevolence, the word that we use to describe that work, benevolence, uh, the church's benevolence as the fulfillment of Jesus's promises. Uh, we have other purposes too, three other purposes. The church is charged to organize itself according to the pattern. We see, for example, in Titus chapter one, Titus being commissioned and sent to the churches in Crete to appoint elders in every place. Uh, we see in 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, the appointment of deacons. We see in 1 Timothy chapter 1, the appointment of, uh, of, uh, teachers within a local congregation. We see in 1 Timothy 4, the, can we say appointment of widows indeed? Uh, uh, the idea of the organization of the local church is part of the purpose given to a local church. We also have the idea that a church is purposed with purity. Actually, this is almost exactly what Tom was talking about when we talk about the idea of the purity of a church, twofold purity, the purity in its doctrinal teaching and the purity in its membership. And that's latter, we sometimes use the word church discipline. The church is charged with keeping itself pure. As Paul talked about to the Corinthians, he said that I'm here to bring you as a chaste bride to Christ. And the idea of the purity of the church is that it is pure with its membership, uh, that it's pure with its doctrine. And Tom did an excellent uh, uh, a job of going over those things for us to consider as well. Finally, we worship. Uh, every first day of the week, we come together for the Lord's Supper. Uh, worship is a distinct purpose that the local church has. Uh, we oftentimes consider the idea that the Lord's Supper is something given to the church to use in worship to God. It's not given to us as individuals. Uh, it's given to the church, and we use it as a church thing. Six purposes that the church has. Well, the problem I see a lot of times is that when we look at these purposes, uh, two problems sometimes come up. One... Sometimes people add other purposes to that list. They think of things like, well, social. We we were even talking about this a little bit on our off time before we started our show this morning, that uh, sometimes churches add to the purpose of the church social interactions and such, or maybe social justice. You know, that's a, a popular one these days where churches get involved in some of the issues in the world around us, whether it be poverty or in, injustice or things like that. But the other thing that I think a lot of times congregations, congregations that think of themselves as sound where they err, is that they lose purposes that they're supposed to be pursuing. And I think in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, that's exactly what we're talking about there. And it's kind of neat that Tom brought those churches up too, because we were thinking in a similar vein, the idea that what I see in Revelation 2 and 3 are churches that are not pursuing the purposes equally. So, for example, in Revelation chapter 2, we meet the church in Ephesus, and the church in Ephesus is pursuing purity well. Uh, they're testing false teachers. They're not accepting false teachers or false doctrines. That's purity. Um, but then he goes on to say that they have left their first love. I, I like the fact that it's an ambiguous statement and that we can kind of fill in different things. Maybe they had uh, lost their love for the saints in benevolence or in edification. Maybe they'd lost their love for the lost and they had ceased to be evangelical. I've known churches that uh, get so caught up in 
being absolutely committed to doctrinal soundness uh, that they lose all sight of the importance of reaching out to the lost um, or of uh, taking care of the needs of saints. Those are things that we're supposed to balance. In other words, I like to think of an idea as a six-pointed star with each of those prongs being something that's pulling away from us, that these are things that require balance. And if we let one pull too hard away from the others at the expense of another, we've actually failed. The church in Ephesus was commended for their pursuit of soundness, but they were rebuked because they let other purposes go. On the other hand, we have other churches as well in those seven churches, churches that had uh, overcome tribulation or had uh, done other things well, and yet they weren't pursuing purity. Tom even mentioned how it is that one of those churches was tolerating a false doctrine amongst them. Another one was tolerating a false teacher among them, again, speaking to the idea of purity. I see churches today that sometimes are really obsessed with evangelism. They say that's what it's all about. Um, and they'll talk as though evangelism is the only purpose of the church. And that's the thing that they really care about. And they'll almost say things like purity or, uh, you know, the, the holiness of worship. Those are things that we're willing to sacrifice in order to reach the lost. And that's not the way the church is designed. The church is designed that it's supposed to pursue all of the purposes. Now, I'm going to be careful and not say all the purposes equally. Some purposes require us to invest more time and effort. Uh, other purposes require us just to be attentive on occasions. Uh, for example, uh, when it comes to worship, we're, we're not worshiping uh, as the congregation every day. We're really talking about that, uh, particularly that first day of the week coming together. Um, as far as elders and deacons, we're not appointing elders and deacons every day, but hopefully we're mindful of that need constantly. The important point that I want us to think about today is a lot of times churches endanger themselves whenever they lose the sense of a totality of these purposes. Uh, churches need to be working on all of these things all of the time. Even a church that has elders and deacons and teachers still needs to be purposed towards filling those roles in the future and training up men and women who are going to be standing up as teachers or uh, in other workers in the church. Those are things that churches need to be striving for all the time. Edification, benevolence, uh, evangelism, these are all things churches need to be working on constantly. So in summary, I think one of the things that sometimes we overlook is a danger that faces the church is that sometimes we emphasize one purpose or another. We maybe not even pursuing one purpose, Sometimes congregations even add their own purposes to that list. But when a church is when a church is not focused specifically on only the purposes given to it by the church and all of the purposes uh, given by the Lord, I mean, uh, and all of the purposes given by the Lord, that is a church that is not successful. That's a church that's in danger. You know, Brian, when you when you examine history in and of itself, the history of religions, that's one of the biggest problems. People see the church as just an organization without a truly specific goal. They might call it a spiritual goal or a religious goal, but it becomes subject to whatever the people find it, find important, I guess, within their own lives. This could be selfishness, could be a number of things that drive that. So I think it's a very good point. Let me bring it over and see if we have thoughts from anyone else. Uh, the gentleman here. And like I said, if you, if you have a, a thought or comment about what's being said, feel free to share it with us. Drop it in as a comment on our Facebook live feed or as a chat in our YouTube live stream. You can also send us an email, questions at truthfactorlive.com or send us a text message. Just follow the instructions there at the bottom of the screen. Any thoughts? Go ahead, Paul. I had uh, uh, really appreciated actually uh, what uh, Brian has said, if you look back through uh, religious history and even among uh, our own brethren, um, what you're going to find is that we focused almost entirely on one thing during different times. And we left other things, as you mentioned, uh, like Jesus taught about in Matthew 3, we left other things undone. We we were all on, top, all on fire about certain false doctrines. Well, then other things crept in, and so we swing the other way, and we, we do this swing back and forth. Really well put, Brian. I appreciate it a lot to try to have some balance and to try to be uh, looking around, seeing all the responsibilities and all the duties, not just uh, having getting uh, 
I don't know, bulldogged into one area, but instead that we we uh, try to have that balanced approach. Silly illustration, okay, came to mind. Were you, any of y'all, if you're old enough, remember Three Stooges? One time, the Three Stooges, they had, I think there's a movie where they were on a ship with Hercules, okay? I think it's Hercules. Anyway, might have been Samson, but I won't say Hercules. Anyway, and they were rowing. And so Samson, or Hercules, was on one side rowing for everybody, and the, all the rest of the crew was on the other side. So they looked at him, and his one arm was super big. So they then moved him over to the <laughs> other side of the ship. You know, a silly example there. But what you're saying is exactly right. There's got to be a more well-rounded um, effort. And when you become a hobby, what is it, riding a hobby horse, maybe is the expression, where all you preach on is one subject all the time, you will neglect important things. All right, any other thoughts before we – or go ahead, Brendan. Kind of tying the first two points together, um, okay. you know, I appreciate everything that Brian said and, and Paul's comments as well, is, you know, Timothy was warned – about the really the, the signs of what happens when it signs that you're getting out of focus, you know. For example, in First Timothy one verse five, he says the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and unhypocritical faith. For some straying from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. He goes on even saying that give rise to fruitless controversy and wrangling about words. I've dubbed it doctrinal, uh, doctrinal autoimmune disease, where we get so concentrated on a particular hobby or a particular doctrine that we start seeing false doctrine everywhere. And we start sniping people who aren't really teaching anything falsely, but maybe they're trying to have a more balanced emphasis on, hey, you know, we need to be doing this as a congregation, or we're not focusing enough of this as a congregation. And really, balance is, I think, going to be the key word when all is said and done today on this whole program, is yeah. you got to maintain balance. And when balance is not had, that's when these threats start coming in, um, and we start losing focus of what the purpose is of why we're coming together and why we exist as a body of Christ. Well, Brendan, sounds like what you're about to describe for us as the third threat has something to do with discernment. Yeah. So, um, so one thing I've I've seen and I can I say I've been a victim of. Yeah, we'll say that uh, is a lack of discernment, and, and is a really big threat to local churches today. Uh Time would fail us if we were to go through a list of all the different things over the last decade or so of just of my you know life or the last eight years of me preaching uh, where brethren have shown a lack of discernment. One quick example I've seen is uh, a couple years ago, there was a news story floating around the Internet that they found Pharaoh's chariots at the bottom of the Red Sea. Well, no, they didn't. And all it would have taken was a quick fact check to find out that, no, that was a fake story intentionally made to make Christians look foolish. And yet so many people circulated that st story as fact because it confirmed what we wanted it to confirm. And so with us being as technologically connected today as we are, and with the average American, for example, according to Forbes, spending an average of 58 minutes a day just on Facebook, not not internet, just, just Facebook, um, we have to be even more discerning. We, today, there's an even greater need for discernment than, say, perhaps in prior years. Um, real quick, what is discernment? Well, it's it's knowing how to uh, apply knowledge. It's, it's, be able to, it's be able to determine what is right and wrong in a situation. Uh, old, uh, D. Bowman had the illustration that, you know, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit and wisdom or discernment is knowing that a tomato does not belong in a fruit salad. Uh, that, that's what we're kind of talking about today. So because we're online all the time and Facebook, Instagram, whatever you call it has made it so easy for us just to have the things we like to hear. We don't have to think through things. We can hide anyone we don't want. We can remove all the sources we don't like. 
till all that's left is the stuff that already agrees with me. Well, that's not how you grow. If I opened up the Bible and it already agreed with everything I already believed when I first came to it, it's not worth reading because I already know it all. Now, the Bible tells us many things that we don't like because guess what? I have sin and that needs correcting. And so today we need to be discerning with what we see online. Um, you have 58 minutes a day on average that we spend on Facebook, for example, the average American. That adds up. Um, oops, I did the same thing John did. I printed double-sided and lost my notes. That adds up to 325 hours a year. Okay, 325 hours a year. Think of what you could do if you just halved that time. Just cut in half. Who could you serve? Who could you teach? What could you learn? What could you, could, could you read through the whole Bible in that amount of time? I think you could. Um, and discernment, you know, if we need greater discernment, where does it come from? In Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 11, uh, the Hebrew writer writes to these Christians, uh, starting off about Melchizedek, but he says, concerning him, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern both good and evil. So the Hebrew writer talks about milk and meat of the word. Milk, he will go on to define in chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, as the first principles, which he then says here, the foundation in verse 1 of chapter 6 of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of teaching about washings and the laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. So what might those first principles be? Because this is where discernment starts. I have to have the right foundation. So let's see what he said. Okay, salvation. Repentance from dead works to faith in the living God. That's a first principle thing. Um, teaching about washings or purity. Purity is a foundational doctrine and, and subject matter that we need to be well versed in. Uh, the laying on of hands. I don't believe that's a miraculous measure. I believe that's talking about ordination or, or the appointment of men to church office. So we would say the nature of the church. That's first principles. Um, and then we see the resurrection then and the final judgment. That's also first principles. When I have a good foundation laid, I can then start thinking about other things that require a little bit more judgment. Is this true? Does this conform with the word of God? This is, is this an agreement with what God teaches? But that only comes when, to quote the other guys who have been here today, if I'm exposing myself to the whole counsel of God. I have a right understanding of what God would have me to do, you know, a case in point example would be the nature and the purpose of the church. And so discernment comes from me exposing myself to the word and seeking to apply it because I have to think through how, how verses apply to my life. That requires discernment to figure out the ins and outs of that. So it's by that practice I can gain this. So a couple Quick solutions to maybe help us more in, to develop discernment and to be a more discerning people and maybe not believe everything we see on Facebook. Um, one, read the daily, read the Bible daily, 15 minutes. Um, so take 15 minutes of what you would use for the, your phone or TV or computer and just read the scriptures, read sequentially, read them, get to know them. Secondly, set a common rule in your household. For example, uh, Bible before phone in the morning. That's a great rule. Or Bible before TV. Or when you get home at night, prayer before uh, entertainment. You know, you make sure that gets done before you do anything else. Saturate yourself with wisdom before you go to all these other devices that are seeking to pull your attention away. And then believe none of, as my granddad Ashby told my dad, and he told me, believe none of what you see and only half of what you hear. Or more biblically, 
John said, test the spirits, for not every spirit is from God. And Hebrews 5, verse 14 again, who by practice have learned to discern between good and evil. So I'm going to stop talking there, uh, open up for everybody else or John on your comments. So. All righty, let's see. Let me open the gallery view here real quick. Well, any thoughts or comments on what Brendan was saying regarding a lack of discernment? You think it's, it's, I mean, I agree with Brendan. I think it's a real danger. Um, people are real quick to, to believe things that they hear. Even things from the pulpit that should be questioned. Oftentimes people, it makes sense to them and they run with it until hopefully they are, they learn better later. So, okay. Well, before we, any thoughts? When I was a very, very young preacher, I tried to sound very, uh, well read, I guess. And I quoted from the great philosopher Pogo, and it turns out that Pogo was a uh, cartoon, and uh, one of the uh, one of the elders in the small congregation that I was working with uh, thought that he told me he thought that was really funny, uh, my uh, tongue-in-cheek humor, and uh, in the reality, I thought you know there was Socrates and Plato and Pogo, and and I quoted from him so. Uh, so, yeah, we have to be careful about that. I, real, what really resonated with me that Brendan said was the prioritizing. I really like that. I think I have benefited the most of my life when I have decided nothing comes until I do this. Or this is uh, what um, these other things can come later. But, you know, prayer, reading, uh, family time even, you know, putting putting those other things ahead. Um, and, and making sure they get done. And if, if I don't get to see some TV show or I don't get to listen to some podcast or something, it's okay. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Good point. You know, a couple of, couple of, couple of years ago, um, I was uh, a preacher friend of mine asked uh, about a passage or about something in the Old Testament. And uh, I threw out my opinion out there without really thinking too much about it, something I believe to be true. Um, that preacher used that statement in class and it came back that I was wrong. And that was one of the most, uh, humiliating things that I had. Uh, so one of the points is to consider, you know, there's often times where it's worth it to go back and, and something that we believe to be true about scriptures, it's always worth it to, to research and restudy and examine things again. Um, I just can't say how embarrassed I was that uh, somebody relied on my take on something and I had not fully researched it. So that's always something to be learned. And not Brian, everything stated point, by Brian, Brian Haynes oh. necessarily reflects the thoughts of Truth Factor. Go ahead, <laughs> <Okay>. Brendan. <laughs> and on the flip side of that, we need to just not take wholesale what our friends who, you know, say the Bible say. You know, we have to yeah. check everything. And I've said this in the pulpit, and hopefully no one's caught on that I've given them an easy way to get, you know, to have me move on to a different congregation is that, you know, the day I stop hearing the pages turning when I'm preaching is the day I get really concerned. Um, because we, we should be checking everything. Not that we don't trust the people, but we want to make sure, does it actually say this? Like the Bereans, you know, they didn't matter that Paul was an apostle and inspired by the Holy Spirit. They searched daily to see whether these things were so. So they could know assuredly what Paul had preached was yeah. actually the truth and not just take his word for it. So the the right. problem yeah. with with your statement about flipping pages, the people who are tablet only people will start hitting the screen harder so you'll hear them, you know. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. Just a real quick comment, John. And then I know you gotta go on to the next point. You know, with what Brendan said there, realize that it, it's it may involve sacrifices in your life. I mean, you may literally lose out on being able to watch a TV show or or those YouTube videos or whatever. I mean, uh, at least a certain amount of them because yeah. but 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 I, I promise you those sacrifices will be worthwhile if you're genuinely interested in drawing closer to God. Yeah. All right. Before we move on to the final two threats, I had asked to see. Before we, when I sent out the original announcement, if anyone outside of the five of us had any other thoughts regarding threats regarding local churches. And we got two of them that were submitted as comments. The first one's from Dale. The biggest threats are woke culture and liberalism. 
you know? And that's something that we're not really covering in this study, but there is an underlying mindset that is affected by the way the world approaches things that will oftentimes trickle into churches and affect the behavior, the teachings, the functioning um, of the local churches. And and it's, it's nothing new since 2020. It's been this way for centuries. Um, and so that's a very good point. The other one was, and this one is sent by Miss Aaron, I think that the threats are often from within. Self-centeredness, apathy, hypocrisy, and legalism can destroy a congregation. Now, oftentimes people use the term legalism as an argument against um, holding to, you know, thus saith the Lord, what Tom was talking about at the very start of this. But that's not the idea there. I think what she was talking about maybe goes back to our pre-live discussion where you become like the Pharisees and you bind burdens hard to bear upon men where you strain at gnats and swallow camels and so many other things that would fall into that category there. So now the reason I want to read those now is that it does kind of set up for the fourth threat. And so let me get that geared up here. Well, how about that? There we go. I'm the fourth threat. So going along what was stated, especially what Miss Aaron had said, I'm going to narrow it down to corrupt leaders. Okay. I think corrupt leaders. And when I mean religious leaders, now, if we're going to limit it to biblical terminology, we're talking about elders, those who have oversight of the congregation, and then, of course, the local evangelists or local teachers. But stepping back from a, from a worldview, look at how religious bodies has functioned since the beginning, since we began to see the apostasy creeping in after the first century there, when we began to see the departing from the authority of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, we begin to see leaders who see religion as an opportunity to take advantage. Um, I think about what Peter's wording was when he talks about the warning regarding false teachers. And this is from, for actually, um, well, I want to come back to that. Talk about, think about the role of elders for just a moment. First Peter 5, 1 through 4. Listen to what the role of the elders actually are, religious leaders, the shepherds of the flock. He says, um, the elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He goes on, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. We need to be fully self-aware. And so if you have a, a, a Christian, a man Christian, who knows that he's a narcissist or he struggles with uh, arrogance and things of that nature, it wouldn't be fitting for him to serve as a shepherd. And I would even challenge it may not be fitting for him to serve as a preacher. Because oftentimes in the culture we live in today, preaching has become a form of entertainment within the religious community. And many corrupt leaders have stepped into that role, being fed by narcissism, being fed by selfishness, arrogance. And oftentimes you don't really see them for their fruits or see them for the, who they are until their fruits are laid bare. And you see that in their actions, hypocrisy and, and things of that nature. So it's important that a local congregation is aware of the leadership that is there over them and hold them accountable to the qualifications and requirements of responsibility that God has given within the word. Again, look at all the, um, I think about David Koresh many years ago. They, I don't remember the guy who led people to wait for the coming of the Hellbot Comet. You know, and think about the, these mega or religious organizations that are rife, ripe with corruption within their leadership. This is not what Jesus established. And so that's one of the threats facing local churches, the corrupt leaders that could be present there and that could exist and have existed. All right. Let me throw this over to, um, well, Second Peter 2, Paul warns, or Peter warns about the uh, false teachers being driven by covetousness and things like that would be a good example. But anyway, any uh, thoughts or comments about that? Brendan, let's start with you. Well, I, I think there's a, a cautionary warning for 
anyone here who teaches the word of God with any sort of like frequency. You know, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 7, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Teaching, there's a lot of authority in it, and it can get very comfortable being the main voice, being the main teacher, to where you start believing you may not, you're never wrong, and your position is the right position, and it you you have to guard against pride and arrogance. If the Apostle Paul had to guard against it, who was given all the mysteries and all the inspiration and talked with the risen Jesus, how much more so we who are who have none of those gifts? Um, so we have to guard against it. Um, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it's it's a cautionary tale for anyone who says I want to be a preacher. Or I felt led by the Lord. I felt called by the Lord to preach. It's a cautionary tale of self-awareness that must be in place. Any other thoughts on that? Wow. Silence. <laughs> um, but we do have a comment that has uh, been submitted as another threat to the local church. Let me go ahead and bring that one up on the screen here. And I think I've got that keyed up for, no, wrong way. Let's try this one. Well, let me just go ahead and read it because for some reason the program decided to say we're done early. Brian, not Brian. Uh, Michael Davis submitted through Facebook apathy. Apathy is um, has a Y at the end of it. The walker thereupon cares not which way he goes. It's a path he doesn't care about. And I think it's a very good point. Apathy is a good point. And, you know, Paul, I think that one... Um, hang on just a second, guys. I've had a failure on my end here real quick there we go switch that one paul i think that one right there probably would be a good segue to our fifth and final threat for the study sorry i had my mic muted and i realized it right there at the last minute you know it's interesting uh that second peter 2 has been referenced a couple of times and Second uh, Peter one is what we've been talking about. Second Peter two says that many will follow their destructive ways, and so what we're going to talk about uh, is the danger of following, uh, not following just in, in a uh, general sense, but being blind followers. Uh, we have referenced uh, again in Acts twenty uh, verses twenty eight through thirty one is where I'm looking. It's where Paul is talking to the Ephesian elders. And he talks about how there will be savage wolves who would come in. And he also says, from among yourselves, men will rise up. And what he says about that is that they'll be not sparing the flock, and they will draw away disciples or followers after themselves. We have to be just so very careful uh, about uh, who we follow, how we follow, who we listen to, uh, I think when I talk with people in, in the community, it's not unusual to hear, well, my religious group, and probably uh, we're talking about uh, denominations here, they have got together and they have voted, they have decided this is going to be what we believe on this. Uh, my religious group has decided this. And so since I'm of that group, uh, that's what I follow. Uh, and so I think that's interesting. You know, but we're not um, escaping that either because, oh, I've often heard people say, well, you know, I know a very knowledgeable preacher, brother, whoever, uh, and uh, he says, he teaches. This is his take on it. Uh, this is the way he teaches it. And so, and people, because of that, follow. You know, we cannot be those blind followers. Um you may recognize the phrase from Matthew 15, verse 14, where Jesus says, let them alone. They are blind guides. Well, John talked about the blind guides, but it says, if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into the pit. And so we have to open our eyes. We have to see for ourselves. We have to evaluate to find out what the truth is, what the truth really is, uh, and not just be a blind follower. You know, it's not bad to be a follower. Uh, there's some good examples. 
Uh, Paul said in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, imitate me. He follows it up with, as I am, uh, or be an imitator of me, as I am of Christ. And so it's wonderful to have good examples. We need good examples. And if, if you were looking at my notes, you would see that the word need is in all caps, and the word good is in all caps. We need them. We need uh, people who are good influences on us, people who help us, people who teach us the truth. Uh, and they need to be called those good examples. We need to be following after them. Um, you know, there, there are dangers uh, from false teaching. There are even dangers uh, of morality. Um, it's not been... Um, eliminated from churches of Christ that preachers and elders have become involved uh, in immoral situations within the congregation itself. Uh, and, and I think people go along with that. And uh, maybe the, the other party in that situation just follows after that. There's such an influential, as John pointed out, there, there's leaders who are corrupt uh, one of the things that uh, they crave is the power and the influence over others. And so here we have to be careful that we're not influenced by someone, as John pointed out, who is corrupt. And so that's, uh, I think, a really important point. We need good examples. You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, he said this more than once, but Matthew 16 is where I'll go uh, for today. If anyone would come after me, so that's what we want to do. We want to pattern our lives after Christ. We want to live a life of devotion to him as he did to, and to our Heavenly Father as he did to our mutual Heavenly Father. He says, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And, of course, we want to go to where Jesus is. Uh, Jesus says, that where I am, there you may be also. We want to go to where he is. And so we need to be followers of Christ. We are Christians. And so follow Christ and find other good examples. Find other good people to, to say, I want to do things in a wonderful way like they did. Uh, but make sure that you are following a good example. And so, and beware of when people try to influence you, they try to uh, force their teaching without a, a good Bible answer. Uh, they try to influence your morals or your beliefs, your conduct. Uh, be careful and make sure that you're not a blind follower, that you are an informed follower, and the information that you're getting is from the Word of God. And I'll go ahead and, and stop with that. Paul, there are the Bible itself in describing the Pharisees talks calls them the blind leading the blind. But if we are a blind follower, then we become blind leaders ourselves, you know, because we take what we hear, tell it to others and we're following blindly and they follow us blindly. Yeah. There was a verse that occurred to me and I I'm struggling for it, but it speaks of some who in their teaching, they destroy themselves and those who hear them and one of the brothers probably can can dig that up for me i, I failed uh in finding that and so I'm, I'm sorry but i thought that was a really good point about being a follower that you can't on judgment day say oh well brother paul taught me that this was the right way but it wasn't uh, i'm responsible for hearing uh and finding believing and obeying the truth and so Brendan's got it, and I'll uh, I'll try real hard to be quiet. Yeah. Well, I I found First um, Timothy four sixteen. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. So the inverse of that, but the inverse of this, what it says is also true, that you teach falsely, you don't pay attention to the doctrine you're teaching. You're not the only one writing on that, and it, there's people depending upon you. Um, and so you got to be careful about who you're listening to and to make that point again, whether you're flipping through the pages or tapping on your tablet, you checking everything. 
Yeah, you, you know, uh, just a real quick observation, since what we're dealing with today is threats to the local church. I, I've heard of this, even though I don't know, it hasn't been said to me, but I've, I've heard of occasions before where there were churches that were practicing error and so on, and members were challenged about it, and they said, well, it's what the elders agreed to. And I'm following the elders, and, and they're actually using following the elders as a cop-out you know, for doing that which yeah. is wrong, uh, or whatever, as long as you know, I if the, if the elders are going to give an accounting for that, I'm just following what the elders say, and I'm a part of the church with the elders are doing what they they do, and and therefore I'm okay. It's it's on the elders if it's wrong, you know, and and uh, that's not uh, that's not a healthy attitude. Obvi- obviously, that's not a healthy yeah. attitude, and you're complicit. Uh, uh, you're complicit. That's the second John. Second John nine through eleven, you know, you welcome them into your house. They're they're teaching or practicing error. You welcome them into your house. You're sharing with them. You're in fellowship with them, based on that text. Yeah, this isn't the passage Paul was looking for, but in Second Corinthians eleven twelve through fifteen, he warns about those who claim to be apostles, false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves, basically calling them you know, um, servants of Satan who uh, uh, disguise himself as angels of light. Um, did anyone find it yet? There's only, well, there's five of us and a million people of you in the live stream. You know, this may be a, That's a, a bit good hyperbolic of, statement. This may be a good example we're talking yeah. about because I'm not finding that either. Maybe I was uh, not twisting the scriptures, but turning what <laughs> Brendan said. Uh, just a bit to talk about saving those who hear you uh, to have that influence, but I'll keep looking, and if I find it, I'll I'll pass it along. And if I think I, I think what Paul is what Paul is really doing is giving us a very example of what he's talking about that we should be careful. You know, when somebody, even somebody with respect, tells us the scriptures say something, and you know we don't then find it. You know, it's interesting. Matthew twenty three, Jesus makes a couple of comments that sound a lot like that when he says. Uh, you know, that the, the Pharisees go far and wide to make a proselyte. All they really do is make them twice as much a, he's pretty strong language. He says twice as much yeah. a son of hell as they are. Um, you know, and uh, he says, you you bar entrance to the kingdom of heaven and you don't let others in either. Uh, those are some pretty profound statements. And a lot of people had to have followed the Pharisees because they're looking at them thinking, boy, these guys, look at the way they look at the way they walk, look at the way they talk. They are righteous fellows. And, you know, Jesus was constantly telling people, your righteousness has got to exceed theirs uh, if you have any chance of getting into heaven. Yeah. The, the, and there, I've, careful how I say this, there are individuals that I've watched, they're preachers, Bible students, who when you listen to their sermons and what they teach, they do the verse-by-verse study, they do the book-by-book study, and you're impressed with their knowledge, and then... They say, but I am part of this denominational embrace, you know, and there's one who says, here's why I have chosen to be Presbyterian or Lutheran. And I'm thinking, here you are a great Bible student. As far as you, all your lessons are, are through the scriptures. You're highlighting great points, observe, observing and keeping the, the things right in the text. But yet you step out of that to feel like you have to put on the cloak of a denominational organization, you know, and many, and, and Paul kind of going back to a very bad segue that I did, that I tried to build off of, of Michael's statement while ago, we become blind followers when we're apathetic about walking according to the truth. So, okay. Well, any thoughts or comments as we, I'm getting ready to bring the conclusion screen up here. Any final thoughts? So here's what we've looked at real quick, and we're, we're about done. I think we've just gone past our, our mark. But the five threats facing local churches, at least that we've covered in this study, failing to preach the whole counsel of God, right up there at the top. Second, missing the purpose of the local church. And that's very significant. Third, a lack of discernment among brethren, among the religious leaders, the overseers of the local church, the teachers, a lack of discernment corrupt leaders, pose a great threat to local congregations, as well as blind followers. All of these things can undermine God's work for the local congregation 
and if we were to go off terminology used in Revelation, could have our candlestick or our fellowship with God removed. So, all right. Well, listen, guys, I'd like to thank you for all your work in preparing for the study today. And I'd like to thank you, everyone at home, who has chosen to join us for our study today. Listen, if you have any thoughts or comments you'd like to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. Just follow the information on the ticker at the bottom of the screen there. You can send us an email at questions at truthfactorlive.com. You can also send us a voicemail or a text message at the phone number you'll see on the screen there. Or contact us via Twitter or Facebook or YouTube. All of those are at Truth Factor Live. That's our handle. That's our name on those three social media platforms. All righty, folks. Thank you very much for joining us for our study today. And next week, if things go according to plan, gentlemen, hopefully we can do a Q&A study. So be thinking about some questions and answers. Brian, do you have a thought? You're just waving by, aren't you? I was just waving. I was saying, that's a good idea. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> All that's right. right. <laughs> All right. And again, two weeks, we're going to start our study through Ecclesiastes. Hey, thank you so much for joining us. Have a wonderful week.